Hey everyone, welcome to the maiden flight of the Five Beer Plan. My name is Brian, and I'm just an everyman here in the Midwest who loves the craft beer scene. This show is about the ongoing saga of my personal ale trail. I'm all about trying something new wherever I go, so unless it blows me away, I rarely have the same beer more than once. In my travels, I've found that most breweries will offer flights of beer that vary in number from venue to venue. My personal favorite would have to be the five beer flight because it allows me to strategically plan the styles of beer to sample and in what order I want to drink them. In this episode, I'll talk ale trails, hop hacks, chat with John from the Drinking Socially podcast, and review Double Toasted Marshmallow from Decadent Ales. Now it's time for Tales from the Trail. My personal ale trail started in the 70s, during my preteen years when my dad would give me a swig of his post-lawnmower summertime beer. Among others, he would drink beers such as Pfeiffer's Famous, Red, White, and Blue, Pabst Blue Ribbon, or Old Milwaukee. At this time in beer history, there were many smaller independent regional breweries available. Pfeiffer's, for example, is a Detroit-born beer that started in 1889. It was even shipped overseas in olive drab cans in the 1940s and remained the nostalgic beer of choice when troops returned home to civilian life. Red, White, and Blue was produced by Pabst from the Prohibition to the mid-1980s and was what they called an honest beer at an honest price. <laughs> it makes sense to me. Who wouldn't feel patriotic drinking a beer with a name like that? The mainstay of Pabst Brewing through the years was their flagship beer, Pabst Blue Ribbon. It was originally called Best Select, and then Pabst Select. The current name came from the blue ribbons that were tied around the neck of the bottle. This was done from 1882 until about 1916, and then it was stopped due to a silk shortage during World War I. After Prohibition, the blue ribbons were once again tied around the neck of the bottle up until about 1950. It sure makes the wax-dipped bottles of beer seem a bit chintzy, doesn't it? And last but not least, Old Milwaukee. It was produced in the city that's named after and was considered a value-priced beer. So it seems to me that for the hard-working Americans of the day, the main consideration of these beers was price. Anyway, I digress. It wasn't really until I went away to college that my beer journey really took flight. It took me to the pinnacle of cheap beer, Milwaukee's Best. We always called it the Beast. My hallmates had a good relationship with the owner of the local party store and would smuggle a pony keg or even a few cases of the Beast back to the dorm for weekend consumption. About the only thing I really remember was that it was cheap. And if I remember, it was something like 12 bucks a 24-pack of bottles kind of cheap. Looking back on it now, getting that beer up into our res hall was really like a special forces operation. We were on the fourth floor, and there were only two ways in through the front door or the side stairwell. Well, my friends had wisely stationed someone in the stairwell on each floor, making sure that the payload could safely make it to its dorm room destination. The fourth Hamilton parties were epic, with massive consumption of beer and loads of 80s rock and metal. Man, those were the days. Once I received my bachelor's degree, I started my first real job, and I began drinking Beck's Premium Lager. It cost a little bit more, but compared to the Beast, drinking that German brewed beer made me feel like I had a more refined palate. 
I think what really drew me to purchasing Beck's in the first place were the green bottles. History reveals that this award-winning beer, first brewed in Bremen, Germany in 1873, was originally served in brown bottles. But there had been a bottle shortage, and in order to meet demand, they found a wine bottle producer with the necessary capacity. At that time, green was the only color in which bottles of wine were sold. In addition to being the first brewer to use green bottles, Bex also introduced the now common and quite convenient six-pack format in 1968. Well, at some point, I noticed its darker relative, Bex Dark, a Munich Dunkel Lager on the shelf and decided to try that. One of my roommates really liked Killian's Red, so this beer, codenamed Red Pop, also became a part of the rotation as I expanded my horizons. Anyway, I took a long hiatus from beer and missed out on what I consider the beginning of the craft beer movement during the mid to late 90s, and I'll just leave it at that. Well, this week's hot pack has to do with the serving temperature of beer. I've tried many different styles of beer over the years, and what I have found is that the temperature can make or break your enjoyment of the beer, and in some cases, even break the vision of the brewer. In general, the ABV the alcohol by volume, or even the color of a beer, dictates at what temperature it should be served. According to Randy Mosher in Tasting Beer, a mainstream light lager should be served between 33 and 40 degrees Fahrenheit. A Belgian double, on the other hand, should be served between 50 and 55 degrees Fahrenheit. I've thoroughly enjoyed a number of Russian Imperial Stouts clocking in at 12 to 14 percent ABV, that I've poured cold and let them warm to room temperature slowly, which could take over an hour. I taste it along the way and see how those flavors just change and come alive. If you've got time on a lazy Saturday or Sunday morning, give it a try. I guarantee you're going to love it. All right, well, welcome to the first edition of Barstool Banter. I'm actually sitting down virtually with John Dispenza from his top secret recording studio located somewhere in the state of North Carolina. You might recognize his name from the Untapped podcast, which is where our ale trail paths crossed. John, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining me on this maiden flight of the Five Beer Plan podcast. I've never been so happy to be on a flight with a friend. Uh, thanks for having me, Brian. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before we get started, uh, I think it's tradition on the Untapped podcast that we need to crack open a beer. So yeah. uh, today I'm drinking a, uh, a Wild Barrel Vice Blueberry Cherry that came in my Untapped uh, festival box that I got from Halftime Beverage. I'm quite jealous <laughs> of that. Uh, <laughs> you you pulled out the big guns and uh, Wild Barrel, huge fan. Uh, Dr. Bill from Stone Brewing, that was like his first independent project. And he started that a couple of years ago. And I think they're incredible, but I haven't been able. Okay, I'm ranting. So me, uh, that, that's okay. This is the first time I've ever had Wild Barrel. And I've heard you guys talk about it. I've heard other, other people rave about it. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, I've, I'll admit, never had them. So I'm going to vicariously put a lot of weight into what you say about okay. this beer. It, the, I was going to say, open. it's a Berliner Weiss style ale, and it's got blueberries and cherries in it. So yeah, there's, there's a, like a history lesson, I think, in uh, everything that Bill learned when he was at Stone. And I mean, the guy that he's, he's just, he's, he's such a beer. I don't know if there was a Picasso of beer, I'd, I'd put him up in the runnings and, and then he takes all that knowledge and creates wild barrel. Um, I'm jealous. I'm jealous that I live on the East coast, but speaking <laughs> of East coast, 
I'm bringing to uh, your show Switchback Ale from Vermont, reportedly Vermont's number one draft beer. Uh, maybe a little bit less crafty or exciting, but it's exciting for me. This is a nostalgic beer. It's a red ale, um, not nice. something I would have been excited about a couple of years ago, but I'm excited to drink it now. I want to <laughs> shut up and hear you talk about awesome. what you drink it. Well, well, look at this color, if you can see it. Oh, yeah. It's got a That's nice like- uh, purple head on it, real fine foam. Oh man, I'm I'm sorry you're not here, John, to to actually smell this because I cracked this open and like cherries just like waft out of the can. So, ah, I mean, it looks beautiful. Like it, the color in there, uh, and the kind of it, like it graduates from red up through the head to this like beautiful white. It makes me think of being in a baseball game as a child. I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but it, it looks like a bubbly fruit drink. Well, for adults, right? Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, my friend. Wow. I'm I'm really sorry you're not having one of these. (laughs) I really am. It uh this one has just so much sour tart cherry flavor. So at one point, uh my family and I were kind of on this health kick and we got the um cherry juice concentrate that we were drinking for health reasons, and it reminds me exactly of that, except it's carbonated. It has five percent alcohol. Um well one thing we're we're batting a hundred on here or whatever the baseball term is. Also 5% over here drinking a switchback, uh, much more traditional. Although I think what you're drinking is traditional. It's how beer was made forever ago. So um, no knock on your glorious cherry adventure. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people that have probably had this beer switchback before, I guess, if you're in the Northeast, especially. But I think they do a good job of bringing a little bit of graduated excitement to a red ale. The first initial thing I get when I taste it is almost banana. Banana. Maybe I'm looking for it, but I can kind of fool myself into getting like a little banana probably from the yeast they mm-hmm. use. They build this beer in a very traditional way um, and it's malt driven. So again, not something I would have been excited about when I was chasing double dry hop to everything, but now eh, I'm older and a 5% <laughs> beer that tastes like beer sometimes is just what I need on a given night. And that has a looks like it's got a great amber color to it as well. I love I love yeah, a good red, red ale, honestly. I really do. Totally, to- totally clear. Obviously, the color adds a little bit of color, but I mean, you could read the paper through it. It just mm-hmm. add like a nice sepia tone. But beautiful job clearing it mm-hmm. up too. Well, and even a, f- a few years ago, starting out with my my beer journey, you know, it was like stouts. That's all I drank. And, uh, you know, now, you know, I'm here I am drinking a, a sour. That, that wouldn't have happened a couple of years ago. But again, I think that's maybe the beauty of the craft industry. Um, and that's maybe what has drawn me personally, maybe more to it than, than other things, just because brewers are, are stretching the limits. They're trying new new things. They're, they're expanding the styles and using, you know, locally sourced, you know, ingredients. Or, for example, this uh, brewery here is one of my favorites in, in Grand Rapids. They they import malts from from Ireland, and that's all they use. All their grain and all wow. uh, just for those that, that can't see my glass, it's brass ring. They're they're certified. They've got their cask license, <laughs> like, but they're the, they're the it, only one in Michigan that that has it. And I think it's only twenty six in the whole United States. Wow. Yeah. So um, like two months ago, my brother and I went when they first had their kind of the grand opening when they were doing their casking. There's nothing better than having a great cask beer where they they fill it from the bottom up and it's just got this. And, and you know, I'm drinking an IPA, and again, it's made you know more along the lines of your traditional uh, brewing, but it's just it's so smooth and soft and, and just there's so much flavor in it. It's amazing. <laughs> and at four, you know, 40, 45 degrees, I mean, it just that extra little bit of warmth just makes all the difference in the world. I love letting my beers sit out for a little bit 
longer if they're a stout or something darker just to kind yeah. of warm up so I can get a little bit more flavor out of them. But uh, I'm loving listening to you talk about how this cherry makes you think of uh, a different cherry related thing. And then Cascales, I know for us here in the States, we don't get the opportunity to drink them as much as they do over in like in England, where right. it's where I don't know, half of the beer is cast and it's part of their tradition. I mean, right. there's like what they call it camera. The campaign for real ale is like a really yeah. big part of beer over there. And it's oftentimes I wonder why, why we haven't picked up on it yet yeah. um, or what what's holding us back from doing it. So it's really cool to hear about Brass Ring yeah. uh, making yeah. waves up there. Yeah. If you ever get to the Midwest, that's one place I would recommend you go. The beers are spectacular and the food is uh, just as spectacular. Nothing better than having a good beer with, with a friend. So it'd be better if we were sharing your, <sighs> but um... <laughs> maybe one day I've told my wife that if we ever make it down South again, that uh, I'm going to try to make a little detour into uh, that secret compound there in uh, North Carolina, maybe at a distance. The door's open. There's no door awesome. on the cave. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So um, this episode, I'm actually talking about origins of my personal beer journey. And so, you know, for me, it started out you know, having a swig of my, my father's lawnmower beer back in the seventies, you know, Pfeiffer's, uh, old Milwaukee, red, white, and blue. And I was just kind of curious, you know, where did your journey start out? Oh man, that's it. I I love trying to answer that question, even for myself, right? Like the first sips I remember having were probably similar to yours. It was a warm Cook's golden anniversary uh, from my grandfather, which was a local, you know, it wasn't good uh, by anyone's standard, but it was (laughs) beer. And it was made in such a way that when I drank it as a young teenager warm, I thought I hated beer forever. And then it was uh, when I was in the army, uh, I was introduced to a beer that I'd never heard of before called a Yungling or a Yangling. It ended up being <laughs> Yingling. And at the time you had to go to Pennsylvania to get it. And it was the first time someone told me about a beer that wasn't, you know, like Bud Miller Coors. And we drove to Pennsylvania and it was this experience. I'll credit that as making me realize that beer isn't just, you know, warm cook's golden anniversary borrowed from your grandfather. And, you know, then later on, it would be probably German wheat beers like a Frontescaner or a Who Garden that I just like accidentally ordered at a restaurant because I wanted to try and be fancy. And then over time, you know, you go from where it's like, Ooh, this is weird to where all of a sudden it kind of becomes familiar. Then I'm, I'm challenging the bartender. Like I love Franziscan or do you have anything like that? You know, right. thinking that this is a, a, there's no other way that someone <laughs> can make a wheat beer. Cause I don't even know what that is. And I think it was just a little bit of curiosity and then some nostalgia, you know, where I would drink a beer and it would remind me of a time someone shared one at a party. And I was like, uh, what is IPAs are terrible, but you know, it all kind of cyclically comes back to you as you start to experiment more and more. Yeah, I think uh, some of the first, if I can call it craft beer that I ever had would have been the uh, Beck's Light Pilsner. Yeah. And I thought that was like the stuff after drinking, you know, old Milwaukee and Milwaukee's best in college. You know, I thought, okay, I've really, I've really hit the uh, the big time. Yeah, it, it's exactly right. You just, you tar- start to experiment and start to think about uh, other styles and, and other ways you can, you know, try something different. And, and again, I think I read someplace that with the number of craft breweries there are in the U.S., I think that any anybody in the U.S. is within, 10 miles of a craft brewery is what I think I read someplace. Yeah, which is amazing, you know, and I just, I keep thinking, well, that saturation point has to be hit at some point, but you know, you still keep seeing places open up by the dozens. Uh, so there's a, a real demand for that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. When you were saying, you know, Brass Ring up in Grand Rapids, they're doing something different than any of the brewers that are local to me. So it, now it's to the point where, do I want to travel to visit 
a brewery that's the same thing as what I already have in my own hometown? Probably not. But Grand Rapids, if you're listening to this podcast, you should visit Grand Rapids. It's like Disneyland. There's so much variety there and (laughs) some of it you can't get anywhere else. So I I love that about what brewers are are doing in this country and elsewhere too. I think it's a lot of fun. Gives me a good experience. Um, Sometimes not what I, it took me a while to like (laughs) Saison's. Uh, Those were rough in the beginning, but now, yeah, I'm excited about them. I think that's the interesting part too, with all the uh, the different adjuncts and uh, varieties of beer. Uh, you know, as I said, I would have never seen myself drinking a, a sour beer, you know, two three years ago. But cherry and blueberry, I love it. You know, oh yeah, strawberry rhubarb, I love it. I mean, it's it's a great combination. Just about anything you can think of, uh, brewers are doing. Do you? I I know you said, and I and I know as well because I've seen what you've checked into on Untapped. The stouts were uh, a, a entry point for you, and I think a lot of people too. I mean, if you can like coffee, a stout will probably help ease your burden into joining craft beer. But do you remember the first time you drank a sour beer? I don't mean to uh, interview you, but it, I, mine, it was a disaster. <laughs> so yeah, the that's first a good two question. times were horrible. All right. So, so the first, the first time I ever had a sour was back in 2015, which is surprising to me. And I, if I, and it's one that came from a microbrewery in Florida. Wow. My in-laws used to live in the greater Tampa area. So um, uh, they moved away just prior to uh, you know, the big boom down there. But, but I didn't rate this one very highly. In fact, I didn't say anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, being in Florida on a date and I ordered a sour beer because we were at this really cool place. It was way above my head. And the bartender was like, these are really cool. And it was this Italian beer and it was sour. And I took one sip and immediately pushed it away and didn't touch it for the rest of the night. I was like, there's (laughs) definitely something wrong with that beer. I've had them before. They're not supposed to taste like that. Second time on a date with a girl who's now my wife. And I wanted to impress her. She's a big beer fan. And I ordered this experimental lamb and I paid what I thought was way too much money for it. And I could barely swallow the first sip. I would love to get that beer now because I'd probably enjoy it. But that was a really hard introduction to sour beers, especially yeah. before they were like fruited ghosts. And these things are just, just, just delicious now. So then I look at the next one I had two weeks later, which was uh, another Berliner Weiss. And I rated it a four. Um, okay. But it, it said this cool, beautiful, groovy beer will bring you back to the summer of 69. Tart with lemon flavors, the perfect warm weather beer. I think that sounds pretty good. Yeah, it does. Cool. <laughs> more, cool more. about Tampa. Tampa's a, an, I don't know about the rest of Florida, but I know if I was going there to drink now, Tampa would be the first place I wanted to stop. Right. Uh, one of my my good friends visited there back in October, uh, visited a couple places and and he asked me to do some research for him. And uh, I was amazed at how many additional breweries there are down there. You know, before it was like Cigar City and now it's just like, you know, again, one on every corner almost. So yeah. since we're talking about styles, what is your favorite style at the moment? Thank thank you. Thank you for saying at the moment. <laughs> um, even today, it'll probably be different tomorrow. I keep my fridge stocked, but usually with variety more than anything. Yeah. It's even rare that I buy more than a six pack of the same beer. Going back to the fact that there's so many breweries, I can afford to get one of each sometimes. 
So right now, I, I want to say because you just mentioned a Berliner, I would probably call that out as that'd be the style that I would be drawn to if we were in a bar with 30 taps and there was a Berliner. That's probably where I would go. We just got a little bit of a warm weather pop where I live. And when you're saying like from your old uh, Berliner check-ins, like summer of 69, absolutely. As soon as that I get that kind of warm weather pop, I, I go yes to a Pilsner, to a lager, but a Berliner. I don't know. It's it's a good in between. It's not such a heavy sour where I feel like I can I can drink one of those and I can really appreciate the tart fruit mm-hmm. without getting blown out. Even some of the right. ghosts I've had sometimes can be a little bit overpowering. And right. then when you get into like an American wild, delicious, but not something I'm going to drink four of. Right. Yeah. I think I would agree with you as far as like the season that I'm in, I, I will definitely look for the sours on the tap list before I look for the stouts or even the IPAs these days. And I think part of that is my desire to try a lot of different things. And in order to do that, you can't just drink a flight of, you know, 8%, 9% percent stouts and manage try to manage to go to the next place so it, it becomes i mean if i can be honest with you and look ahead it's it's gonna get colder the beer that i anticipate drinking the most of especially with holidays coming up if i see family and friends i'm gonna be drinking eight nine ten percent imperial stouts probably yeah. pastry driven definitely some lactose in there when i can share with three or four other people, uh, that's my sweet spot. I yeah. love to just drink a whole bunch of bourbon barrel age weird stuff. Absolutely. Um, when I have to drink by myself, barley wine is a no. It's just <laughs> too hard. It's too hard to maintain. Last call. It's nearly time to wrap things up, but first, one more for the road. I'm super excited about this segment of my podcast. What I'm going to do each episode is to do a little tasting for you in real time. Now, just remember, I'm not a Cicerone. I'm not being paid by anybody. I'm just an everyman. And I just love to describe and understand where beer's coming from. This episode, I'm going to drink and describe double-toasted marshmallow from Decadent Ales out of Mamaroneck, New York. The description from the brewer says, This is our DIPA recipe with toasted marshmallows, Dry hop with a variety of hops featuring mosaic, Madagascar vanilla bean, and a variety of candied, turbinado, coconut, and other sugars to create this mellow sweetness of campfire toasted marshmallow. This beer clocks in at 9.5% ABV. Without further delay, so when I pour this guy out, it pours a really very nice golden color, kind of the color of straw. It has a nice head on it. That head, you know, seems to dissipate eh, rather quickly. One thing I've learned through my tasting is that it's good to take some deep smells of the brew, look at the color, and just kind of get a feel for for what's going on here. So, so I actually poured this guy out into a tulip glass because I'm really interested in getting a little bit more of the aroma and just seeing kind of what what happens here. So as I poured this out. I'm definitely getting some uh, some roastiness on the on the nose. Um, again, this is a double IPA, so it's you know a little bit deceiving. It's almost got a uh, nuttiness to it, which is kind of interesting. Mosaic, I'll just tell you right now, is one of my favorite hops. Uh, Mosaic tends to have a very tropical, just a very nice citrusy kind of feel to it. So I'm gonna go ahead and take a, a sip of this and see what happens. This is definitely an interesting beer. 
from the get-go, I definitely get that citrusy feel that I would expect from an IPA. Again, I'm getting this kind of roasty kind of flavor, um, not only on the nose, but also on the tongue as I'm drinking it here. It's got an almost effervescent kind of feel to it as I'm sipping it. I'm definitely getting that coconut and other kind of flavor that they described. Now, I'll be honest, I'm really not getting a whole lot of the vanilla at the moment, but, uh, you know, that can change over time. But I'd be willing to bet, as this guy sits a little bit longer, that the flavors might come alive a little bit more. Another thing I've learned is that as you're, you're drinking beer, um, especially when it comes to uh, like the hazy IPAs and, and beers that have a lot of adjuncts in them, which are just additives, it's always good to, before you pour it, to just give it a couple gentle rolls to kind of loosen up that sediment and some of that, that flavor that can uh, get stuck in the bottom of your can. And again, on the nose, if I just close my eyes and kind of imagine, I can definitely uh, sense that, uh, that campfire kind of feel to it. Another trick that I learned from online is that uh, you can also, depending on, on what kind of a glass you have and, and how easy it is, what kind of a surface you have, you can even kind of give the beer a little bit of a swirl. And, and what that will do is it will kind of activate those flavors and, and aromas and just kind of give you a little bit more of, of what's happening with the beer. So I'm just going to do that now. Yeah, so I'm still getting that, that roastiness. Uh, still getting that earthy kind of kind of uh, aroma to it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an enjoyable beverage. It really is. And now I'm getting a little bit more of that vanilla uh, as the, the beer is warming up a, a little bit. Again, it's a, it's a nice, complex beer. And I, and I think that's one of the other things that I really look for when it comes to craft beer, um, if, is finding places that maybe uh, have a little bit of a twist on an old favorite or even something that is outside the realm of what I would normally drink in an everyday sense. Even though it's not maybe hitting all of the high notes that the description gave me, it's still a solid beer. For me, it just doesn't really give me, the, let's say, the sweetness of marshmallow that I was expecting. If you've tried this, just let me know what you think. And also, if you've got a beer that you'd like me to drink and describe, leave a comment. If you're a brewer and have one in mind, direct message me on Instagram and let's see what we can do. I'm always happy to try anything once. Well, that's all for this episode of the 5 Beer Plan. With so many podcasts out there, Thanks for choosing to listen to mine. Join me next time when I talk domestic road trips, share another hop hack, and finish my interview with John Dispenza. Remember to hit that subscribe button to be notified of new episodes. I'd love to hear from you, so please follow me on Instagram, 5beerplan2022, and leave a comment to let me know how your personal ale trail started and with what beers. Be sure to support your local breweries, choose your beers wisely, and drink them responsibly. Until next time, keep walking your ale trail, and stay thirsty, my friends.